It was long about last April he stepped into this saloon But he never really took to anyone Surly Joe Hey everybody, sorry I'm late. I just got back from Vietnam and I was living with my family in Pennsylvania and trying to get re-acclimated into the world and having a really hard time with it. You're listening to This Film Is Not Yet Created, the podcast where we listen, uh, where we watch movies that never got made, and then you listen to us pitch our own ideas for sequels that never did get made. Uh, with me, as always, is my co-host, Mr. Steve Grande. Hi, sorry I'm late, but I was visited by three ghosts this past evening to show me the true meaning of Christmas. Now it's pheasants and ducks for everyone. Uh, we're definitely not going to take that intro again. We're just going to keep on going. Um, because with us today is one of the most talented and, and multi-skilled people in Chicago. She is uh, a fantastic actor, director, writer, and a teacher. And of course, I'm talking about Miss Jillian Mueller. Hi, everybody. Sorry I'm late. Uh, so I, I broke my leg and... I've just been like super bored and looking outside, you know, like you do. And like, you know, my girlfriend came over, she's got some cute outfits, uh, but I think I witnessed a murder and I don't know what to do about it. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm real late. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, This week we are talking about The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Our first Western. Our first Western, our first Coen Brothers movie. And yeah. uh, Jill, actually, you, you pitched this one. Tell us a little bit about why you pitched this one. Uh, I pitched it. I, I You mentioned wanting something that was uh, a little bit grounded, and my mind went immediately to this, which I don't know why that doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I'm a sucker for, like, vignettes, kind of. Uh, sure. And westerns, even though a lot of westerns, like, just get that out of the way, a lot of them don't age really well. <laughs> uh, but it was always sure. something that was, like, kind of in the background, like, on a Saturday afternoon when I was growing up. Because mm-hmm. uh, we always had, like, PBS on and a lot of what they would yeah. show in the Saturday afternoon lineup was, like, a random western. Um and yeah, the, uh, like also big Coen Brothers fan, and this movie yeah. specifically is one of my favorites of theirs. Yeah, uh, I yeah. mean, I I'm right there with you. I practically grew up watching spaghetti westerns. My grandparents uh, on my mom's side moved from uh, Joliet, Illinois, to mm-hmm. uh, Bisbee, Arizona, which is basically a border town. Um, you know, you know, forty, fifty years ago, but. Um, But they moved out there and my grandfather was always obsessed with Westerns and John Wayne and their whole house was decked out in cowboy gear. Oh man. (laughs) uh, Like they had, they had a John Wayne lamp. Uh, They had the, you know, the plates above the kitchen, like on the little uh, high mantle in the kitchen. It was. It looks like Woody's display case. (laughs) Exactly. Toy Story 2. Exactly. (laughs) When the prospector gets them. Yeah. It's always loved Westerns and. Um, and especially the Coen brothers. And I remember when this movie came out a couple years ago, I didn't initially know that it was a, um, a bunch of vignettes. What is it? 
whatever that's called. Starts with an A, something. Who cares? Um, anthology. <laughs> an anthology. Yes, anthology. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't. I didn't quite know it was an anthology, so I was a little disappointed initially that we didn't just get uh, the whole thing of Buster Scruggs singing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I wish he would have stuck around the whole movie. I gotta watch an entire movie, but I guess that's the point. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I I love that structure where it's like ah, you're you just want to know like a little bit more about each story, and they're like, no, 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 not over yet. No, come on, get back here. Yeah, <laughs> like all of them are so good and 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 do such a great job of making you want more and more. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I could have watched that gold prospector hit the next spot and the next. Oh spot my God, miss Mister Pocket. <laughs> <laughs> Just grumpy Tom Waits rooting yep. around is yep. so good. I would watch that forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, so in, in like watching this, so this is the second time that I had seen the movie. I was mm. preparing for this. And the first time that I saw it, I didn't quite put together how minimalistic all the dialogue is. It's yeah. very like they only say the absolute bare minimum of what's necessary. Sometimes a little bit more, but not not much. Well, and, except for that last one. <laughs> except for that last one. Where they, all they did was talk. They saved it all up for that. Yeah. Um, but I um, I was so like taken by that. And then the, the aspect of it being a Western immediately brought me to uh, this author, Cormac McCarthy. Oh, who, yeah is one of my favorite I, I know that I'm not a, alone in that but he's one of my favorite current authors he does a lot of westerns and and I thought well immediately my first thought was okay let's do an adaptation of one of his stories and make that part of the Buster Scruggs volume two you know mm-hmm. and I think we're all sort of in a similar boat where we're all going to have our completely different ideas for what is going to happen so I wouldn't say this is exactly like a full-on sequel as much as it is Buster Scruggs volume two, the next wave of the anthology basically coming out. Um, yeah. Buster Scruggs two, Western Boogaloo. <laughs> exactly. So. Everyone's got their, their boots with uh, sparkles on them. <laughs> yeah. I, I do for sure. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I love, uh, that's one of the reasons I, really love the Coen brothers and think they're kind of a study um, in screenwriting is because, yeah, like you said, it's all intentional. Like no one is ever saying something unless it, you know, kind of holds water and furthers things. Uh, right. So yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you said that no. and I'm like, yeah, that is why. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let's just dive in then. So uh, we're going to start today with uh, my piece first and um, it should go a little quick it's it's just a quick little scene here Um, again it's an adaptation of a Cormac McCarthy and it's called The Crossing so if you're familiar with that novel it's a little snippet from that Um, there's only one character that speaks in this and that's Boy and I'm gonna have Steve read for the part of Boy okay and I will read the stage directions I'm sorry, Jill, I didn't have any, unless you want to do the stage directions. Um, that is okay. I, I, okay. Just, just hey, sit all back right. and relax. Just, yeah. I gave you plenty to read. <laughs> okay, so this is The Crossing. A page turn to a painted image of 
uh, matches, uh, of patches, <laughs> I already fucked up, uh, page turn onto a painted image of patches of yellow grass and brown dirt. A trail of paw prints imprinted in the dirt from the foreground to the center, where they're obscured by grass and bushes. The imposing mountain in the background has a visible pass to its side. Below the picture, we see the text. He regarded the mountain range with a pass through its center. Come on, in quotes. Page turn to the first page of a book, chapter titled, The Crossing. Fade in, exterior, desert day. A tuft of yellow grass sits in the foreground among the red sand and mesquite bushes of the New Mexico desert. There is a slight breeze. A boot crunches over the tuft of grass and continues on. The boot belongs to a boy, about 15. He wears brown pants, a yellowed shirt. A red bandana hangs loosely around his neck. He carries a rifle slung over his back on the right shoulder, and a loop of rope hangs from his left hip. He continues away from the camera in a wide shot that sees him slowly approach the horizon. The boy finds his way to a small clearing. Well, not really a clearing, more just a gap between a few mesquite bushes. In the center, we see a trap. It's like a smaller bear trap. It's designed to clamp its teeth over a center pressure point. The trap is set, ready. The boy looks over the area around the tramp. Nothing appears out of ordinary. He looks up and continues on his way. Eventually, he comes to some footprints in the sand, crossing right to left where he stands. He regards them for a moment, not human, more dog-like. The boy looks out to the horizon where the tracks seem to go, then where they seem to have come from, and back to their direction of travel. He gives a small nod and adjusts his path. He follows the prince in the sand, maintaining his pace. The boy does not rush, nor does he hesitate. Finally, the boy stops and looks to a mesquite bush before him. He has no expression. We hear a small gust of wind blow through the surrounding bushes and pockets of yellowed grass, and the boy stands for a moment, eyes trained on the bush. He removes the rifle from his back, and carrying it at his waist, approaches the bush. Cut to... Desert, same. In a small clearing, we see a wolf with its front left paw caught in a trap. The wolf is backed up, hair raised and teeth showing, its fearsome growls undercut slightly by the limp in its stance, and the blood-matted fur over its leg, chin, and shoulder. The boy raises the rifle to his shoulder and aims at the wolf, though he doesn't shoot. The wolf is oddly quiet, and more so fat. Not fat. Pregnant. The boy lowers his rifle to his waist again. He examines the area, takes a step back, and squats. The boy stares at the wolf, and the wolf stares right back. Okay... The boy stands and slings the rifle to his back again. He takes the rope from his hip and runs a length of it through his fingers. As the boy stands, so does the wolf, rise a little taller, still baring its teeth. The boy makes a small loop with the rope and tosses it around the wolf's head. He tightens the rope, cinching it around the wolf's neck and pulling it toward himself. The wolf collapses and the boy jumps onto the wolf, straddling it and wrapping rope around its jaw as a muzzle, and securing it in place so as to have a muzzle and leash on the animal in one smooth motion. The boy gets up off the wolf and steps back, still holding the line. The wolf attempts to stand and paw at the rope in its mouth, but it's unsuccessful. And as the wolf tires and stops, it goes back to staring at the boy. We can't lose any more cattle, and I'm not trying to hurt you. The boy looks around at the horizon and then back to the wolf. He removes the bandana from his neck and, holding it, yanks the rope again. 
Again, the wolf jerks forward and down to its belly, and the boy, again, jumps onto its back and straddles it. He keeps the rope taut with his knees, keeping the head of the wolf down and the right foot holding down the right paw, uses his left foot and hands to open the trap slightly and remove the injured paw. With the wolf still under him, he ties the bandana tightly around the injured area and then sits still atop the wolf for a moment. When the wolf finally stops struggling, the boy rises and slings the rifle back to a ready position. The wolf, now too weak to put up a fight, lay still, breathing heavy. The boy looks again to the horizon, regarding a mountain range with a pass through the center. Come on. The boy yanks the rope hard and the wolf stumbles forward to its feet. It limps slowly and the boy continues to walk forward, tugging the rope and being careful to never turn his back. That's the end. Nice. thank you thank you yeah so that's the beginning of the story for the crossing which in the novel it goes on and uh he takes the wolf to mexico but goes through a lot of um journeys along the way and grows up and he comes back a man not a boy um but yeah i I just like as i was writing it out i was like i can picture all of this so clearly you know yeah yeah I could too. Oh my god! <laughs> like it's, <laughs> uh, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with the style, where it was very mm-hmm. succinct but poetic. Sure. Yeah, I Dig loved it. how <laughs> I loved how po- poetic it was, and like the fact that you know a lot of a lot of westerns is also relating to nature. Sure. So to see something like this was. You know, I, I could definitely see it would fit for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, I just, I really wanted to try and practice that concept of minimizing dialogue, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, 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 and while also like keeping it in the screenplay format where uh, I'm not describing so much the emotion that's happening uh, or like what the character's going through, more I'm trying to just describe what we can actually see and hear. And let that inform the emotion. Um, yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. Anyways. Well, you're going to see from mine that uh, that's a valuable skill to learn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Oh. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks, guys. Uh, let's yeah. uh, let's keep moving on. And this time we're going to have old, old Steve take us through a journey. All right. All right. Yeah, and it is a journey. So crack open your finest bottle of whiskey uh, and sit back. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to have you guys read chapters of this. Uh, Jillian, you'll be chapter one. Chris, okay. you'll be chapter two. And I will be chapter three. Uh, so, yeah, this is just in, you know, what I would see uh, one of the vignettes that would be in the next movie. Um, it's. Uh, it's it's a it's action packed, y'all. So, Jillian, why don't you take it away? Well, wait, what's it called? Oh, sorry, it's called the Bear Man Remains. <laughs> okay. I saw this title and I was like, I'm looking forward to that. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> cool. All right, the Bear Man Remains, Chapter One. 
Two men on horseback ride into a beautiful small town. The sign reads, Grizzly Falls, as we see a bustling town hidden within the landscape of a serene forest. The two men are Jacob Cassidy and Cliff Avery, two members of the infamous Dallas... Oh, no. uh, Vogel Song Gang. Two members of the Dallas Vogel Song Gang. Uh, Cliff is one of the newest members of the gang. He is wide-eyed and ambitious. Jacob is a founding member of the gang and Dallas's right-hand man. He has grown weary of the outlaw lifestyle and is at wit's end with Dallas and the way that he has run the gang. The two are sent on a recon mission for the gang as they plan on committing a bank robbery. They see happy townsfolk walking through the town. They witness the bank only they witness that the bank only has one guard, and they see an out of shape old sheriff asleep on a rocking chair outside the police station across the street. At the town center, there is a large bronze statue of a fierce-looking bear on its hind legs, poised to attack. While Cliff is energetically listing steps on how easily... (laughs) This is full of tongue twisters. I'm so sorry. I know, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Hang on. While Cliff is energetically listing steps on how easy it would be to rob a town, Jacob is trying to talk him down and just appreciate how pleasant everything they see before them. Uh, He asks Cliff to think of his future, because if he doesn't, he's going to end up like him. Or, even better, dead. Out of the bar stumbles a short and angry man. His name is Martin Van Buren. (laughs) 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 Uh, Another scene. (laughs) His name is Martin Van Buren. Another senior member of the gang. He tells the two that the town is easy pickings, and they should hit it tomorrow. He reveals that people say that the town is well protected, but when he asked if it was because of the sheriff, the whole bar laughed. And they ride back to the hideout. (laughs) I promise I know how to read. Um... (laughs) As they ride back to the hideout, they see the townspeople filling the wagon with supplies around the bear statue. Jacob connects his eyes with a young woman, which feels like she is the only one who knows what they were there for. They return to the hideout. Parentheses. It sits on a cliff atop a canyon that can oversee the town and its surrounding woods. A gang of ten men are waiting there. One of them is tall. One of them, ah, a gang of ten other men are waiting there. One of them is a tall, well-dressed man with a thick mustache. Dallas Vogelsong. Jacob reports back what he saw in an underwhelming fashion, a.k.a. trying to avoid the gang robbing the town. Martin tells Dallas how unprotected the town is. When asked... Cliff agrees with Martin. Cliff then tells Dallas about the wagon, which causes Dallas to give the order to go jump the wagon. Uh, The men are waiting in the bushes outside the road. Jacob talks to Dallas about reconsidering the hit on the town. Dallas accuses him of being soft, while not realizing that this town could be their final ride. 
The wagon approaches, and Jacob asks Dallas not to let this end in blood. They emerge in formation as the wagon suddenly stops. Dallas looks at the scared wagon drivers and says, Evening, fellas! Dallas grins, and we see a shot of the drivers coming down next to each other. <laughs> All right. That was that was chapter one? That was part one. Yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd like to say two things before we continue. Okay. Maybe three things. Uh, the first thing is, um, Jill, it's totally Steve's fault, not yours, uh, that that this is all typo-filled and, and, and ridiculous. Secondly is, uh, can, we pl- can you plug that in? <laughs> this thing here. Hey, no, I don't care about that. That's Mark Twain, baby. You know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, Here, I got it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the other thing, the other thing I really wanted to say, though, is that this sounds an awful lot like the video game Red Dead Redemption. Like, exactly <laughs> the same. It, it, was, it was very heavily influenced by it. <laughs> All right. I've never played, so I don't know, but I want it's, to play now. <laughs> I feel like it's the same right down to having Martin Van Buren. Um. <laughs> You'll see. All right. I'm excited. I'm excited. I, Martin Van Buren is my favorite character we've encountered so far. <laughs> Here is chapter two. We jump cut to the same shot of the drivers next to each other. See, I'm doing it too. We jump cut to the same shot of the drivers next to each other. They are dead inside the wagon with bullet wounds in their chests. The wagon gets lit on fire by Martin. He chuckles as he goes to sit back down next to some other gang members who are sitting slash drinking in front of the wagon as if it were a campfire. Other gang members are looking through the loot and storing it onto their wagons. The gang members are commenting on the loot and how beautiful it is. They pass out bottles of whiskey, high-quality cigars, and food at... Excuse me. They pass out bottles of whiskey, high-quality cigars, and food as they celebrate. Dallas stops the party and stands on the wagon to address the gang. He gives a rousing speech and gets the gang excited for the bank robbery. In the speech, he throws shade on Jacob and says, If you want with this gang before we run into that town, you sure as hell won't be with us when we get back. He reveals part of the plan and then barks a few orders. Tells one of the men, Jasper Clemens, the weakling of the group, fucking Jasper, to to be on watch tonight. Jacob watches Jasper as he gets on his horse and rides into the darkness of the woods. Jacob goes to talk to Dallas in his tent, tries to convince him not to go through with this. They have a heated discussion that has the men face to face. Martin walks in and the two men break from their stare. Dallas, (laughs) Dallas, <laughs> that's not yeah, how you no. spell stare. <laughs> uh, Dallas no. tells Jacob that he is dismissed and to get ready for tomorrow. Martin and him have to work the plan for tomorrow. Jacob sternly says to Dallas, this is it. This is the last one. Jacob storms off. Jacob looks and sees the gang eating, cleaning their guns, and other tasks they perform in preparation for battle. He looks at Cliff, drinking by the burning wagon laughing and having a good time. He shakes his head as he returns to his tent. The next morning, the gang rides out from the hideout and they discover a corpse lying in the middle of the trail. They approach the corpse and discover that it is Jasper. He has been brutally scratched to death. Lacerations cover his body. 
the men joke that they didn't really like him and how he was probably uh, killed by a bear. As the gang move... <laughs> sorry. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <clears throat> Where was I? <laughs> killed by a bear? Yeah. Killed by a bear. As the gang moves on... <laughs> As the gang moves on, Jacob looks at Cliff and says to him, Ain't no bear did that. A bear would have ate him. As they ride off, Jacob is the only one to notice on a tree that there is a word written in blood on it. The word reads, Don't. Oh, shit. All right. <laughs> Here we go on to chapter oh, three. Oh, man. All right, chapter I'm three. I'm excited. The gang enters the town and brings a tense energy. They scurry into their, uh, the the townspeople scurry into their homes and businesses as they arrive. The gang disperses, each man going to their assigned post. Jacob, Dallas, and Martin enter the bank as they affix their bandanas. Cliff stands outside the front door, keeping watch. They bust in and see that the bank is empty. There is just one bank teller, the young woman from yesterday. She makes eyes with Jacob again as Dallas and Martin scream at her to open the door. She looks at him <laughs> nervously for a second before she opens the door. As they go back, to, they notice that the vault is wide open and that all the money has already been placed in bags. Dallas and Martin grab the money without half a thought while Jacob continues to stare at... I spelled it right that time. Uh, <laughs> at the bank teller. <laughs> The two uh, return from the vault and are overjoyed with how much money they were able to grab. They brag about how easy it was, which causes Jacob to freak out. He berates the two of them, tells them that it shouldn't be this easy and that something is up. At that moment, Cliff calls out to them that he needs them outside. Dallas and Jacob rush outside and they see everyone has left the town streets. They pan, uh, it pans around and they see that the windows of the town and, and the doors are all, and including the sheriff's office, are all closed. Uh, the gang members start to congregate in the middle of the town. From 50 yards away, they hear loud footsteps coming from the saloon. The saloon doors swing so hard open that they break off the hinges and fall into the street. Out walks an enormous man holding a full bottle of whiskey. Uh, we only see the back of him. Dallas steps out and tries talking to the man. He tells him, uh, he tells the man how no uh, problem, that they have no problem with this man and that they'll be on their way. The man takes a large swig of whiskey and lets out a disapproving grunt. Dallas then threatens the man, saying that there are a dozen of them and only one of him. The man takes another large swig of whiskey and lets out an even louder grunt. Dallas tells the man that he's run out of option and that they will draw on him. Mockingly, he, he tells the man that he will wait for his ready since he's a civilized man and his opponent is, at, is greatly outnumbered. The man raises the whiskey bottle into the air and toasts him. Uh, we now get a front shot of the man. He has a long and extremely scruffy brown beard. Uh, covered in a jacket and pants made entirely out of fur. Most notably, he has a bear's head <laughs> covering his his own head like a hat. Uh, he, he is dirty and many noticeable... So afraid of him! 
<laughs> and many uh, many scars are noticeable on his face, neck, and hands. He chugs the remainder of the bottle, then holds it up uh, to knock out some last drops. After it is empty, he looks back at the gang for a second. He slams the bottle down, and at the same time that the bottle crashes, a gunshot rings out. We cut to Dallas and see that he has been shot right between the eyes. As he falls to the ground, the gang starts firing on the bear man. Chaos breaks out. The bear man uh, shoots back at them and runs for cover behind the wagon. Jacob takes cover as well as the other men that are firing at him. Uh, the bear man puts on a show. First, he shoots. <laughs> he shoots at the man on the top of the building. He takes both of them down with one shot each bullet. Um, as he remains running towards another gang member that has hit taken cover behind a wagon, he immediately is. T- uh, oh, sorry. The gang member steps out in front of the wagon and tries to a- aim at the bear man. He is immediately tackled by the bear man and is stabbed repeatedly in the chest. Uh, the gang gets quiet for a second and stops firing as the cries of the dying gang member become louder than the bullets. Jacob realizes that Cliff is low on bullets. Jacob (laughs) reaches for his bullets and starts to make a throwing motion until he stops. He stops because he sees a figure peek out of the other side. They realize that it's the dead gang member and that the bear man is using him as a shield. <laughs> they ru- they return fire at, at as uh, each of them as the bear man gets closer. Jacob stands uh, up and tries to fire off a few shots before the bear man hurls the dead body at him. Jacob f- Jacob's gun flies out of his hands and he tries to get up from underneath the dead guy. At that moment, the gunfire abruptly stops. Jacob reaches for his gun and looks up and sees the bear man standing over him with the knife. And as he's about to lay down into Jacob, you see Cliff come out of nowhere and tackle the bear man down. And he's fighting with him for a couple seconds. This is the part where I I ran out of time. I ran out of writing it. So this is basically what happens. Uh, (laughs) I was going to say, what? Twist? No, no, that's not the end. So so he's fighting and like eventually he gets the best of Cliff and ends up bear man on top of him, stabs him in the chest. Uh, Maybe... uh, Maybe Jacob gives a Darth Vader no out when he sees it. Um, but then at that moment, right after he stabs him, a gunshot goes off and Bear Man goes down. And then you see that uh, Martin comes out with the bank teller and is holding a gun to her head and demanding that Jacob, who had who was like right near the money that Dallas had dropped, um, he's like, yo, give me that money. And I won't kill this girl. And they they're fighting back and forth a little bit, and like pistols cocked at each other. And then the bear man gets back up for one and stabs Martin in the neck, and he goes down. But the bear man goes down with him because the bear man was fatally shot and can't recover from it. So the the young woman is like grieving over him, and then you just see. Um, you see, you see Jacob just like get up and walk out of the town, and uh, as he yeah, does, get out of there, huh? Sorry, I just said, yeah, get yeah, out of there. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he gets yeah, out. Continue. Of there. I'm um, sorry. <laughs> he, as he gets out there, we see that he reaches down for something. We don't see what, and he continues walking. 
So then it would go to the epilogue where we're back on um, kind of the hideout area and we see the town and we see that there's a funeral happening in the town. We can see two caskets from really far away. I mean, sorry, one casket from really far away. Um, and then it pans out some more and we see the figure standing next to a grave that uh, just says it has a cross on it and the cross says cliff on it. Um, and then we see the whole silhouette of the person uh, that that is looking from out beyond and they put on the bear. <laughs> <gasps> Oh man! <laughs> there's a new bear man in town. Ah, uh, I love it. And that's the end. <laughs> yeah, I think um, my initial reaction is you gotta change the name of it to New Bear Man in Town. Okay. <laughs> And yeah, yeah, a lot of this was um, was from Red Dead because I really love that game. Um, cool. Yeah, I, I'm was... gonna pitch a. I'm gonna pitch new Barith in town. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a new bear. Yeah. There's uh, a new Barith in town. I, I like that um, the main characters that we follow the whole time is this gang, but really we're supposed to like. Root for the Bear Man? Oh, 100%. <laughs> bear Man's like yeah. Jason Voorhees. Hell yeah. No one watches those movies rooting for the people. That's true. So they're supposed to be like <laughs> dis- despicable people then. Huh? Yeah. yeah I mean, they're, yeah. they're gang members. They're coming to sure. rob that town. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to to give give Jacob that kind of, um, you know, like, yeah. like sense of change, sense of wanting to be different from this lifestyle and now he is the protector of a town uh as the former first uh, uh former first as the former president of uh, the united states is, uh, <laughs> I, didn't, is, I really is, i really didn't do i didn't do that on purpose as, i was like i know that there was a president named van buren but i didn't know his first name was martin it was not that guy Lots Shut of up. Pe- you didn't lo- know it was Martin Van Buren? No, I didn't know it was Martin. I literally... Uh, <laughs> I will say, I just, I'm a I little just... disappointed, Steve, that once once the president got murdered for um, <laughs> trying to steal more money, that nobody stood over his body and said, you got greedy, Martin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, lots of people are named Michael Jordan, but we know there's only one. Maybe two. Yeah. <laughs> That's but like puts a B Martin Van Buren, I don't know. <laughs> I know, yeah. There's uh, a difference between Michael right. Jordan and President Martin okay. Van Buren. His name is officially changed. George Washington changed to Michael Van Buren. Okay, there, there you go. go. It's completely different. So pretend no, it was I Michael like it. the whole time. I, I was looking for like a historical Easter egg in there. Yeah. Like, like, oh, I want Van Buren. I kind of, yeah. I think you got to rewrite this into being a historical fiction where this is the adventures of Martin Van Buren before he got elected or something. So Martin, make Martin Van Buren uh, bear man. Sure. Or make him like get wounded, but he, he comes back from, he's not killed. He gets to come back and, uh, and, and that strengthens his resolve to change the country. In my youth, I was nearly stabbed to death by a bear man, but now I come to you. Yeah. Oh, take man. peace upon this country. Yeah. 
Oh, the Bearman. Oh, the Bear. I love that. <laughs> I I feel like that also. Um, it, like in Buster Scruggs and in other, um, specifically in Buster Scruggs, I'm like, oh, like greed and mm-hmm. want kind of lead people to weird places. So love that about about this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think it fits totally. Um, just make it a little bit more presidential. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh my no, god! Thank you so much, dude. That was that was quite that's the a, journey. That's a ride. That a was great. That was a hearty meal. I am for a stuffed. Bear. <laughs> <laughs> I am stuffed. Oh my um, god! Oh, you know what? I've always got room for a little bit more. And uh, Jill, I think you've got just just the extra little meal that we need. So why don't you go ahead I and do. take us through? I, Actually, literally, uh, you know, speaking of meals and getting stuffed and all that, um, so this is a, <laughs> uh, this vignette is a sequel to uh, the, it's the vignette called Meal Ticket, which, oh, uh, yes. yeah, they'll leave me some ones. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so sad. It was, no, so it was the most compelling and disturbing of all of them that I saw for Mm me, Um, but it's different for everybody. But uh, to give a bit of context for this, uh, so Liam Neeson plays uh, like a traveling showman producer guy. He doesn't do the performing. Uh, This gentleman who has uh, no arms, no legs, uh, recites classic poetry. And then that gets Liam Neeson money. Uh, And then slowly and subtly, people start losing interest in this, like, incredible Mm -hmm. performer. Uh, And Liam Neeson buys a chicken who can do math. Uh, Uh And then it's implied that he dumps uh, this this guy with, uh, you know, who really can't defend himself. Uh, he dumps him in a river once mm-hmm. he's not of use anymore. Um, and I don't know. I mean, that that was a big old gut punch. Yeah. Yeah. That, Especially yeah. as performers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I'm, you know, I, I'm a performer. Yeah. <laughs> as performers, but also like specifically... Like, ah, yeah, this guy, like, truly was at the mercy of this, like, mm-hmm. what turned out to be a monster human. Um, so that's some of the context for mine. Um, I feel like you guys both wrote very beautiful stories, and this is just kind of ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> oh, I could just, use but, some ridiculous. <laughs> that's what we <laughs> yeah, I uh <laughs> So this it's This might be uh, the first time in this podcast history that neither one of us were the silly ones. Yeah. <laughs> it, it 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 starts out silly but slowly gets unsilly. I don't know. We'll see. Uh so here's what I want to know. Oop. Uh who has the better Liam Neeson impression? Who? What should give it give us a phrase to say as Liam Neeson and we'll find out. <laughs> 
Uh, all right. Uh, how about I have a very specific set of skills? <laughs> I, I have a very particular set of skills. Oh, nice. Nice, nice, nice. I have a very particular set of skills. No, I didn't Love like it. it. I think Steve's is better. <laughs> I think, I think. <laughs> you went, you right. went into his Irish. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, Isn't you're he always be... Irish? <laughs> yeah, right, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm already uh, Liam Neeson's. You're going to be the Liam Neeson. Uh, and Chris, can you do stage directions? I sure can. And I'm going to be uh, another character who shows up <laughs> later. Uh, <laughs> You'll see. <laughs> okay. We're not going to name that character yet? Okay. Not, not yet. I mean, we can. Okay. We don't have to. I can do okay. the stage directions, but I'm also going to do them as Liam Neeson. <laughs> that is totally fine with me. <laughs> Exterior um, night. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, this is called Math Chicken. Math Chicken, Math Chicken. Yes. Yeah. That's a perfect name for a sequel to a story about a math chicken. Or yeah, meal ticket to whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, go for it. Okay. Okay. Math Chicken. Exterior night. Liam Neeson, the impresario, but we're just going to call him Liam Neeson, stands clad in a big, creepy fur coat next to his covered entertainment wagon. A huge crowd of people have gathered to watch his math chicken's big show. They shout out math problems, the chicken struts and pecks the answer on a board of numbers, and they go bananas when she gets it right, which is every time. Time elapses, and the drooling masses slowly disperse as it gets late. Once everyone has left, he picks up the chicken and scatters some corn kernels in front of her. Liam sets up a fire, starts cooking for himself beef and potato for dinner. <laughs> he hums folk songs in a gravelly fashion. You know, I'd love a little morsel of potato. Maybe some steak to taste the flesh of my enemy. That's a chicken talking to him. <laughs> I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take it back. I'm gonna. I'm gonna take it back. <laughs> you want me to give you uh, that, that intro the ch- there? Yeah, sure. The chicken opens her beak. <laughs> uh, uh, she you hums know, folks <laughs> chicken. You know, I'd love a little morsel of potato. Maybe some steak to taste the flesh of my enemy. Liam Neeson spit takes in his tin cup. <laughs> That's right, you grizzled son of a biscuit. I got the gift of words. Can't say the same for you. Liam Neeson open hand slaps himself in the face, as if trying to wake himself up from a dream. <laughs> still here, still jabbering. What's the matter? Don't you know how to communicate with your mouth hole? Liam Neeson throws up a little in his mouth. <laughs> this is a whole lot to take in. Truly shocking stuff. Chicken ambles over toward the campfire and sniffs at the food, which is starting to smoke. Uh, you're gonna burn your vittles, Cap'n. No soup, I'm no soup du jour, but I'd say that this sirloin is uh, about past medium rare. Liam Neeson fumbles to remove the cooking steak and potato from his campfire, clumsily burning himself. He finally gets his bearings. Soup du jour is the name of the dish, not the title of a culinary expert. Well, what do I know from soup? 
If that vengeful cactus god didn't gift me with a human brain, I'd probably be the soup. Slurp, slurp, slurp. I would have never made you made soup out of you, creature. You're quite the anomaly, and help me furnish a fairly comfortable living. Liam Neeson gathers himself enough to sit down and start shoveling down his dinner with a fork, right from the pan. Well, you definitely had no qualms about making a cold, fresh river gazpacho out of that guy a couple days ago, so a gal can't be too <laughs> careful. Liam Neeson's hands start shaking as he drops his fork, gagging on the chicken's truth bomb. Yeah, that's right. I saw. I saw everything. You dumping that brilliant, poetic man into the river where he was completely helpless, unable to defend himself? Real dick move, if you ask me. Uh, I did... I did what had to be done. To keep going, to keep food on the table, I... Chicken gestures down to the meager kernels of corn a couple feet away from her. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All this opulent, expensive cuisine. This, this right here is definitely equivalent in value to the cost of a human life. Tasty, tasty stuff. That's enough. What are you going to do if I get rusty on my addition and division, huh? Run me over with your wagon? Shoot me? (laughs) Catapult me into the next canyon you come across? Don't talk nonsense. I twist your neck and roast you over an open flame with some chilies. Ha! So you admit it. I admitted nothing. You admitted everything, you sexy bearded he-minx. Excuse you, he-minx? It's a horny chicken. Uh, (laughs) You admitted that you're a... You admitted that you're a dang suckerworm, that you gulp the life out of every organism you encounter until you've had your fill, until you're satisfied. Shut your rambling beak. You suck and suck and suck. You suck the life force until the cows come home. And then, once you see no further use for a being, you end them. It's practical. It's survival. It's only practical until you run out of things to suck dry. Someday, you will run out. All of you will run out of beings to suck dry. Well... You'll have no one to dispose of in the river but yourself. That's a bit harsh, don't you think? Chicken ambles over to Liam's tin cup of whiskey and gives it a slurp. She gently burps and walks over to him looking him dead in the eyes. Oh, trust me. By the time you squander everything in your sight and there's nothing left to use, you'll jump. That's one of your very fascinating quirks. If you're not consuming, you perish. What's stopping me from consuming you right now, if you're so smart and so astute? Oh, little old me? Oh, come on. You'd never get rid of a talking chicken, even if said talking chicken relentlessly roasts you. I haven't known you for long, but by judging by your demeanor, it's a wash. Meaning what? 
Meaning I know that you'll try to torture me by only speaking in my presence, <laughs> egging me on to play the madman who brags about his talking chicken, only J. to fall, since, <laughs> fall silent whenever I attempt to show another human your gift. So it makes me no difference to me. It makes no difference to me whether you can talk or not. I simply keep using you and your mathematic abilities until you grow old and I put you out of your misery. Or, if you get stubborn and refuse to perform, I'll simply relieve your beating heart of its duty. Either way, you have no power. Don't try to play this game with me. I've already... I've won every bout. Chicken plops down, crisscross applesauce, next to Liam. Ah, uh, damn boss, you caught me. Should have known better than to try and outsmart you. Well, I do have a very particular set of skills. <laughs> what? Never mind. <laughs> Business as usual at tomorrow's show. I haven't planned my next dinner menu, but I can certainly start now. Understood. Fade out on Liam and Chicken sitting by the fire, looking into the distance. The next day, exterior evening, Liam Neeson and Chicken are doing their usual math show, where onlookers shout out numbers and Chicken solves the problems. Mid-long division problem, Chicken stands in the middle of the board and starts to recite passages from Ovid's Metamorphosis. I want to speak about bodies changed into new forms. You, gods, since you are the ones who alter these and all other things, inspire my attempt and spin out a continuous thread of words from the world's first origins to my own time. The crowd goes nuts. They start to scream and scream and scream about the miracle of talking chicken. Liam Neeson, shocked passes around his money hat and makes a sickening amount of coin. Cut to later that evening, Liam is laying in his bed, full of food and drink satisfied. Chicken creeps over to him. Big night, huh, boss? Mmm, yes. I'm happy we could reach an understanding. I'm happy, too. Chicken hops up onto Liam's chest. What a pleasant understanding. You get to rake in all the money from the mis... What a pleasant understanding. You get to rake in all the money from the miraculous talking chicken sideshow, and I get to do this. Do what? <laughs> uh, chicken leans toward Liam's ear and whispers. You killed a man. You killed a man. You killed a man. Shut up! You killed a man. You killed a man. You killed a man. Stop or I'll... Or you'll what? Slit the throat of the gold mine that is a talking chicken fluent in ancient poetry? Liam's eyes widen in terror. His hands are tied, figuratively. This chicken is good at a lot of things, but knots aren't one of them. <laughs> <laughs> You will never shut your eyes without hearing my voice. Consider this the fee for your meal tickets, past and present. Liam grabs his pillow and tries to muffle the noise. Chicken holds fast. You killed a man. You killed a man. You killed a man. Slow fade to black. Mm-hmm.
amazing oh yeah <laughs> yeah oh i loved that oh thank you <laughs> you know what that felt that felt like um something you might like a um oh god who's to, the guy to, to me it felt like a mcdonough play that's what i was gonna say mcdonough i was gonna say the guy that made pillow man mcdonough yeah. oh yeah like I, a McDonough I love play. word mcdonough yeah <laughs> it's a major that's, influence yeah. <laughs> That was amazing. Yeah, I could totally see all of that. And and it totally fitting in that world of Buster Scruggs and that same world of, like, meal ticket as well. Like, it was so... He's just going crazy. That was amazing. I love how fourth Wally it was yeah. to, make, <laughs> to, make, to make the chicken talk, but I really think it paid off with, yes. the, with the ending of you're fucking cursed. You're gonna, yeah. You're going to be reminded of this all the time. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I, I I can't think of a better sort of like tale of like uh, revenge or caution, I guess, of like don't you know don't throw a helpless person in the river. Uh, yeah, yeah. Be, I mean, yeah. I've been thinking a lot about you know having people not die for superficial reasons lately. So <laughs> yeah, maybe that maybe yeah, that I wonder why. seeped in. Um, I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that was. That was so well done. Uh, I kind of want to see like a full length. Uh, yeah, I want to see. I want to see ex- it. Expand it, uh, expanding of this, you know. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, hey. <laughs> well, think, um, uh, any animators that are out there that want to help me do a talking chicken? Yeah. I'll pay well, you. <laughs> well, I will. I will. I will say this. Um, Steve and I have access to a man-sized chicken costume. We do. <laughs> what? We sure do. Why didn't I know about this? <laughs> I got distracted through some parts of this in the beginning because I imagined how the Coens would do a talking chicken. Yeah. Um, we also have a man-sized bear costume, so I'm, we could make both of these. We got, got tons. <laughs> Let's tons do it. Costumes. Buster Scruggs um, to the web series, you know? Yes. Oh yeah, the unofficial. Yes. Let's do it. Uh, Jill, this has been so much fun. I'm so glad that uh, we got to have you on and see you, especially during this quarantine. It feels like it's been entirely too long because it has. I know. Yeah, I miss um, you both. I miss you too. Miss you. Uh, what, um, what, what, what would you like to plug? What, where can people find you? Uh, maybe on social media, find some of your, your art and things like that. Oh man. Okay. Well, uh, so usually I would plug uh, Trigger Happy at the Annoyance on mm-hmm. uh, Wednesday nights at eight, but like that's obviously on hold right now. Uh, sure. But just in general, I'd say like. Um, like if you can, if you're looking for a venue to support during this time or, uh, like look at, like, uh, go to annoyance, like give them your views, give them your money, give them whatever you can give. Cause it's truly one of the like best venues in the city. Uh, and 
yeah, so that, uh, but on Twitter, I don't go on Twitter a lot, but I will, let me try to pull up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I said this at the beginning, I'm 80. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, well, we'll be sure, um, you know, as the weeks progress on, hopefully just weeks, not months. Yeah. Um, and we, any of our guests that had have shows coming up that they weren't able to pitch on our podcast, we'll be sure to to give you some love and put mm-hmm. it on our social media. Yeah, thank but, you. Uh, yeah, I yeah. appreciate it. Uh, and I know um, as you're as you're looking for your Twitter handle um, that, you never, <laughs> that you're not going to use, it's um, like Jiller times something. Uh, <laughs> um, I know that the annoyance does uh, quarantine shows. They're live streaming through Twitch. And on yeah. YouTube, and you can find them at twitch.tv slash annoyance theater. Um, that's theater with an R E because they fancy. And and if I if I did uh did catch you watching it the other week, Chris. I was uh, watching I would, it. I would say is, can you confirm that one of those is a is a drinking game show? Yeah, there's a show called The Power Hour, put on by Cigarette Sandwich. And they do it maybe maybe every couple weeks. But you can always watch past past streams, and it's basically 60, uh, 60 sketches in 60 minutes where you're encouraged to drink along the whole time. And they're all pre-taped, but the cast is there um, laughing and setting them up and doing their own live bits between some of the sketches and stuff like that. So if you ever yeah. want some comedy with your with your binge drinking on a regular <laughs> Friday night, exactly. be sure to be sure to go on that Twitch and look for the exactly annoyance. exactly yeah um that's it's a great show uh I'm at uh on Twitter Mueller underscore time thirteen and on Instagram I'm at Jiller time thirteen. All right. Fantastic. Don't <laughs> go out there and spam. We you can those, tell I'm great at branding. Stuff. Yeah, clearly. Um, well, I mean, we did just give free advertisements to a show that none of us have anything to do with. So there's that. Um. <laughs> true. True. Um, yeah. You're both yeah. a delight. It was so fun to hang oh, out. you're and... a delight. You know, I would love to, to stay and keep talking with you for hours and hours and hours. But really... Uh, I gotta run. You see, my family <laughs> has just been murdered in ancient Rome, and I was taken as a slave, and now I have to fight my way out as a gladiator. <laughs> Jeez, that's rough. Because uh, I, sorry, but I gotta run. Um, I have to go under co- undercover uh, in Southern California uh, to some illegal street racing that has been happening. <laughs> And, you know, these people are hard to crack. They say they're like family. (laughs) Man, that works for me because I got to run. Me and my 10 friends, uh, we got to go rob the casino of the person who is now dating my ex. And I think this is how I'm going to win him back. But also money. He shouts and he sings When a cowboy trades his spurs for wings